Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Um, it's possible you're listening to Mornings with Carmen and it's not in the morning, or maybe it's the morning where you are, but it's later in the day for us. Either way, anyway, however it comes, we're glad to be together. So um, I am Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. If you're not already signed up for your Growing the Faith verse of the day, I encourage you to do so at MyFaithRadio.com. Also, this would be like if I had a bell to ring, I would ring it. Um, so today's the day, actually yesterday was the first day you could have signed up, but today's a great day to go and sign up for Susie Larson's Strong in Battle online study. She's going to help you prepare for, thank you, I love that, um, uh, prepare for the battles that you are facing in your life today. It's an interactive eight-week study. You're going to get a downloadable study guide. You're going to get a weekly email. You're going to get access to um, live events that Susie is going to do related to um, her brand new book, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the Find Out More button. You'll see it. It says Strong in Battle Online Study. I really encourage you um, to sign up and participate in, uh, in that wonderful study. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs, I can spit it out, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. So these uh, two verses are really good example of the way that Solomon presents the Proverbs in what we call couplets. So worry weighs a person down and encouraging word cheers a person up is the first part of the couplet. And then the second part is the godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. So we, um, we understand these couplets as congruent or parallel in terms of the presentation of a thought. So here's how you might think about this. An encouraging word cheers a person up. That's a parallel concept um, or a congruent thought to the godly give good advice to their friends. So it's good and godly and uh, productive for our friendships to encourage one another. Worry, on the other hand, weighs people down. The wicked lead their friends astray. So to be an encouragement is to be a person who builds others up, lightens the load, helps shoulder the burdens. A godly friend. A wicked person piles on the weight of worry. Now, you and I know both kinds of people. I mean, don't you? I do. And while I cannot control how others treat me, I can control how I treat others. And I can choose to spend time with and share the challenges of life with those who have proven themselves to be godly, wise friends, people who encourage, people of mutual encouragement. That's who we're called to be. 
There's lots of words of testimony and encouragement from God's Word related to the concept of encouragement and how to be a person of encouragement and how God encourages us. I mean, I'm thinking about the very story of Joshua and how God encourages Joshua all along the way to be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um, Isaiah 41, great reminder um, of the encouragement of the Lord, his constant presence. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, that is such an encouraging word. How about um, the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 34, um, beginning at verse 4? I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never ashamed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to encourage one another and build one another up just as you're already doing. So if you're looking for a model of encouragement, you can't find one better than Barnabas. Why don't you read Acts chapter 11 today? Where in the word are you today? Let's be be with Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. Let's be one who others would describe as a son or a daughter of encouragement. What's going on um, across the world in terms of uh, the move toward, quote, green energy, and who is bearing the cost of that? So it's one thing to say we want to move away from a total dependence on fossil fuel, um, but who bears the cost of our move to green energy? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro will join us. All right, our friend Jeff Bilbro is joining us now from Grove City College and Front Porch Republic. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Um, I read this piece from the Associated Press um, on Myanmar and what is being described as the sacrifice zone. That catches my attention because anytime, anytime you know, we're going to benefit from anything, like, right, we are not creators ex nihilo like God. And so in order for us to create something or have something, we've got to take it from somewhere, adapt it from somewhere. And so what is being described as the sacrifice zone in Myanmar um, is related to the world, the global move toward green energy. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, I think this is a really sad story. And, you know, as you point out, maybe it's not um, isolated that a lot of times, whether it's rare earth mining for a lot of the uh, green tech battery technologies and others, or the lithium mining that happens around the world, especially in South America, um, there's real environmental and local costs to um, what ends up that we experience as green technology, but uh, is not entirely green. And I think, you know, a lot of people have pointed out these problems with other, with solar technologies and and their recyclability, their lifespan. And uh, yeah, this rare earth mining is really toxic and particularly so when it takes place in areas without 
you know, functioning central governments. And so it's kind of a free for all. And nobody is looking out for the local communities and the local uh, people and, and environment that's that's uh, destroyed. The birds no longer sing. The herbs no longer grow. The fish no longer swim in the rivers for they have turned murky brown. The animals do not roam. The cows are sometimes found dead. The people in this northern Myanmar forest have lost their way of life that went back generations. And if they complain, they face the threat of death. I am not, I am very certain, I am very certain that we are not good at counting the cost of the things that we purchase that make our lives more convenient, the, the newest, brightest, shiniest thing that's out there. Um, the, the companies that are, you know, responsible for, you know, mining these rare earth frontiers um, serve and service and supply major companies that you would recognize. So those on the front line, you might not recognize, but those um, who are using these component parts, General Motors, Volkswagen, Mercedes, Tesla, Apple, certainly recognize those names. Um, what are your thoughts, Jeff, in terms of, you know, our responsibility? I mean, if we are to be stewards of the earth, and that's not to say that we don't use the good things that God has given us, but it's one thing to, you know, use things appropriately, and it's another thing to just to strip people in these regions of their ability to to flourish. Yeah, I think a lot of the times the the lie that we're sold by some of these new technologies is that we can, uh, you know, not have an impact or, or uh, make you know make make a more green lifestyle or whatever without changing our behavior. That if we just buy different products or if we just follow a different process, we can still have the luxuries we want, um, but they won't have any costs. And that's not true, right? Um, that that we, we are gonna have to change the way we live and accept sacrifices or inflict pain and devastation on other people. And you know whether it's slave labor in, in China or this kind of destruction of places, uh, in countries that are far away that we don't see, we have to recognize that that these long supply chains um, exact costs on people, and we're going to have to um, make real sacrifices to um, to avoid those. So while the supply from uh, China is apparently now very closely monitored, the global demand, I'm reading again from this Associated yeah. Press uh, piece, and I'm just going to read um, read our audience in on this, and then you and I will pivot to another conversation. But um, here's, here's the bottom line, you guys. The global demand for rare earths, which are these things being mined in these remote places like northern Myanmar, uh, the global demand for rare earths is expected to explode by 300% to 700% by 2040, which is really not that long from now. According to the International Energy Agency, the proposed Inflation Reduction Act, which is no longer proposed but passed uh, in the U.S., would increase demand even more by subsidizing the sale of electric vehicles in one of the world's largest markets, namely the United States. So if you want to check out um, the people who are looking at this, researching this, and talking about it, they are um, at an organization called Global Witness. And if you, are, um, if you access the podcast for this show, then the link for this article from the Associated Press, The Sacrifice Zone, Myanmar Bears the Cost of Green Energy, will pop up uh, there as well. 
Um, we're going to return in just a moment to continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro. Here's the question um, before us, and this is going to come from a piece by um, Paul Kingsworth, who Jeff and I like to read and talk about from time to time. Uh, I mean, is it time to grow up? I mean, we know in Scripture that we're called to grow up in every way into Christ. What would it look like? What would it look like for the West, Western culture, Western society to grow up? The West needs to grow up. That's next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro. You can find him at jeffbilbro.com, also at the Front Porch Republic, where he posts something called The Water Dipper. And in The Water Dipper, you will find an article by Paul Kingsnorth, who I might have said Kingsworth because I think of him as being worthy, but he's Kingsnorth. Uh, the West needs to grow up. Jeff, let's start with this. What, um, what is the culture or a culture of inversion? Yeah, so Kings Kings North talks about how, um, in odd ways, right now, um, our you know what he calls the cultural elites have kind of lost faith in the value of our culture, and it's a or what somebody other people have called anti culture, this this deep um, lack of confidence, I guess, in the value of um, any kind of a coherent cultural inheritance that we might want to pass on to the next generation. So when we arrive at this point, when a culture arrives at this point um, where we find ourselves today, um, where collectively it no longer believes in itself, that seems that seems like a very well, I guess I could view it two ways. It's either very dangerous or wow, what a great opportunity for people who do have a positive vision for a culture and are willing to work to cultivate it. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, Kings North is not saying that there are no flaws or that we, you know, uh, everything about the West, quote unquote, is perfect. Uh, but that we have to um, find ways to he, he boils down to tell stories and um, uh, commit to practices that will pass on a, a culture worthy of inheriting. Uh, so it's a time kind of a vacuum, I suppose into which Christians um, can can uh, foster a healthy culture and can tell the stories that we um, think make sense of the world and uh, the place we find ourselves. And so in that sense, maybe it is, as you have, have suggested, a, a kind of the fields are white for harvest and there's a real opportunity here for um, good storytelling and and faithful practices. So what if we were to tell a story of culture as a garden, um, that God had set people into um, into a place and into a time and given them um, the seed of his word, uh, the, uh, the seed of peace to sow into the cultural soil of their day. He'd given them um, responsibility to be uh, the caretakers of the garden into which he had placed them. He had called them to be fruitful and multiply um, and to uh, have dominion. 
uh, in a positive way over uh, the birds of the air and the animals uh, that roam about and certainly the trees and the plants and, um, and yes, the people. I mean, that actually sounds like a familiar story if you're familiar with the story of creation and then ultimately the story of redemption. That's exactly right. And uh, I think that vision can get lost when we commit ourselves to the culture wars and we're just trying to fight battles and, you know, destroy the parts of uh, culture that we think are, are noxious. Then we neglect to tend and cultivate the good. And, uh, you know, Mako Fujimura in his book, Culture Care, outlines that vision uh, that you just described of what if we envision culture not as a battle zone, but as a, a garden to cultivate. And what would that look like? Then, then we're not just pulling up weeds, but we're also tending uh, the beneficial plants and we're, we're trying to cultivate a positive vision. And I think that's what Kings North is pointing us toward as well, that that we need to invest a lot of our energies into the kind of mundane, maybe unglamorous work of of tending the good and uh, fostering the truth. Let's jump for a moment to this piece by Joseph Derule. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Do we know? It's called the privatization of the truth, and it's um, it's posted at First Things. Um, he um, he leads off with a conversation about uh, an, a 1989 essay, The Privatization of the Good. Um, so if you need to touch on that, please do. But what is um, Derule talking about in The Privatization of the Truth? Yeah, I thought this was an encouraging essay because it's by an uh, undergraduate student at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, and he's saying, I, I don't want to come to college just to um, access uh, sort of credentials or a, a vision of knowledge as a private commodity that I can access and possess and monetize. Uh, rather, drawing on Alistair McIntyre, he wants to, um, his education, to form him into a common truth, into a, a truth that we all share and that is, uh, you know, common to all, all humans and all of creation. And so he's calling for a, a vision of education that's rooted in a core curriculum. And I think that's encouraging to see when young people uh, desire that and are skeptical of the, um, you know, the kind of commodification of, uh, of knowledge that our culture tends to um, offer them. And sometimes, you know, universities or schools want to appeal to those baser instincts in young people and say, hey, We'll give you a good degree that you can get a job with if you pay us a lot of money. But I think a lot of young people recognize that that's a, a false and reductive vision, and they want uh, to be formed in the truth rather than, than simply uh, get a credential they can get a good job with. Or a degree from an institution, right. whether or not it actually provides a job for them. I think it might, there, there might be some people listening who would be surprised to learn that basically you can go to college and you can absolutely, from beginning to end, curate your own um, course uh, of study. Um, right. there, are, uh, there are very few requirements, and even those requirements, um, sometimes there are options or there are you know, flexible ways that you could um, satisfy a requirement. And so what this student is arguing for 
um, when we talk about a set curriculum or when we talk about a common uh, a common curriculum, it would be, you know, like we might have historically thought of the core things that every student needs to learn um, in order that everybody can then build together upon uh, a common understanding of uh, of at least the most basic of truths. So it's an interesting article. It's called The Privatization of Truth. You can find it at First Things. You can find it uh, linked to in the Water Dipper, um, which is at FrontPorchRepublic.com. Jeff, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. The European Union's import ban on Russian coal goes into effect today. I know. See, I really feel like I'm here to share with you um, news that you're not otherwise going to to hear because you're you're not listening to the news other places, and I know that, so that's totally okay. So you know, I'm I'm sort of surveying uh, what's going on not only here in the United States but around the world, so that you can walk into the conversations of the day and be like, "Hey, today's the day the Russian." Uh, the the European Union's import ban on Russian coal goes into effect. Um, you may say to yourself, wow, that kind of actually took a long time. Like this, you know, they marched into Ukraine in February. Like, hmm. Um, so the European Union has already uh, imposed several rounds of sanctions aimed at punishing Russia uh, for invading Ukraine. But it's also important to recognize that the European Union is really dependent on Russian um, natural gas, oil, and coal, Um, and that it gets really cold in Eastern Europe, and people are going to need fuel over the winter. So experts are saying this particular move, this import ban on Russian coal, is going to deal a harsh blow to Russia's economy. Um, And it actually marks the first coordinated embargo by the European Union on the energy exports that that Russia has in, you know, through which it generates hundreds of billions of do- dollars in revenue and obviously using that money to fund its war. So that's going on. Um, the war continues to rage. So let's be praying for the people of Ukraine. Also related to Russia, the Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning um, that uh, the crisis over Russia's invasion of Ukraine has now spilled over into the, re- into the realm of arms control. So on Monday, Moscow said that it will not support the resumption of inspections of its nuclear arsenal under the new START nuclear arms treaty. Um, It's imposing travel restrictions um, and in response to travel restrictions imposed by the United States. So um, the the new START nuclear arms treaty is designed to cut long range nuclear um, arms. Um, It is the last major agreement regulating the nuclear competition between the United States and Russia. Um, And so as far as we know, both sides have been observing the limits, but there will no longer be inspections related to that. So um, that's what's going on. And I think that, um, you know, without without trying to scare anybody, um, I think, you know, it's time to be alert. If you haven't been alert to what's going on internationally, and particularly in relationship to Russia, now might be the time to um, to sort of awaken your concern in relationship to um, to the bear. Ruth Kramer is going to join us next. Uh, she is going to help us see what in the world is going on in the world. 
believers and the plight of believers in Uganda. What's happening in Lebanon? Um, we're going to catch up on um, really the plight of the people there and then turn closer to home here toward what's going on in Haiti. That's all up next here on Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer joins us again from Mission Network News. Ruth helps us see what in the world is going on in the world, particularly in relationship to our Christian brothers and sisters and how they are responding to particular challenges that um, that they face in these days. So, Ruth, welcome back. Uh, take us to Uganda and tell us uh, tell us the story of our Christian and brothers and sisters there. You know, what I think is interesting is that Uganda is kind of like Kenya in that uh, for a long time, it's been very stable. There's been a very high Christian presence in the in the country. And so a lot of ministries created ministry bases from which to operate for the rest of the region. Um, and that is the, these types of ministries are the ones who are feeling um, the I guess the pressure from the extremist groups that are starting to show up. Um, Uganda is now dealing with the uh, allied democratic forces being much more, I guess, uh, open about what their intent is in the country. Um, in 2019, they actually pledged allegiance to the Islamic State. And right now they're trying to create a situation in Uganda where they will be the representation of the uh, Islamic State branch in Central Africa. So what you have like in Nigeria with the Islamic State West Africa, now you have uh, in Uganda with the Islamic State Central Africa province. And really, they're not the only extremist group to be active in Uganda because you have other groups that are coming in from uh, bordering countries. But these, this group particularly is the one that's uh, the, it's causing a lot of issues and kind of stirring up the uh, a- anti-Christian, anti-well, um, anybody else that's not of this ideology uh, the sentiment where that leads to the attacks that we've been seeing increasingly happen throughout the, the country. On July the 29th, a Muslim extremist entered the home of an evangelist who had recently held an open-air event in eastern Uganda. Um, His life had been uh, threatened by a local Muslim leader, and extremists entered his home while his wife and four children hid in another room. Uh, They killed him. Um, He's not the only one. We uh, we have uh, another report here um, from Mission Network News. Uh, about people returning home from an evangelism meeting. Um, What happened in that story? Well, again, there was an attack, and uh, the extremists ambushed the group as they came, they were trying to come home. So this is, this is, again, these are deadly responses to uh, open uh, examples, open practices of the Christian faith. And a lot of it tends to target people who have changed their faith from Islam to Christianity. Um, and they're targeting the people that they see responsible for that. So the Christian workers are increasingly at risk. Um, you know, we're talking to the Voice of the Martyrs about what's happening here because we want to stay abreast of it. 
the the irony here being that the Ugandan government is part of the anti-terrorism task force throughout Africa, where they're trying to rid other countries of the presence of Islamic State, and they're really struggling to deal or contain the situation within their own country. So be praying for the the gospel workers in Uganda. It used to be a place where you could go with relative uh, safety and openness, and it still is relative, I would say. But there are signs now that the rise of extremism and the ideology is uh, beginning to catch on with some of the fringe groups around in the fringe areas of the country. Um, It's becoming a little bit more of a challenge. And then you have a good news story um, as well, uh, because when we talk about uh, who is going to be in the best position to reach their neighbor, it's going to be people who already live in Uganda. And so there is this pastor's network, this rural pastor's network um, being equipped, particularly during the pandemic. Um, So can you talk about this? Because this is really positive good news. Yeah, I think this is interesting. Uh, This is one of those things that came out of the COVID lockdowns that is the silver lining. Set Free Ministries was uh, kind of trying to help teachers visit their students at home during the COVID lockdowns. And then uh, as a result of that, they saw a lot of Bible studies started in some of these villages. But in nearly every village that they were visiting, they found that a lot of people were illiterate and couldn't read the Word of God for themselves. So they partnered with World Mission and brought in um, 230 audio Bible units, they're solar-powered audio Bibles, that allowed people to get into God's Word a little bit more and hear it in their own heart language. Uh, so fast forward to 2022, now you have churches that have been planted and you have a lot of rural pastors who also need some discipleship and some leadership training and a little bit more help in terms of letting them know that they're not alone, just kind of sharing the burden with other pastors. And so Set Free has this new partnership, this new project called the the Rural Pastors Project. And again, partnering with World Mission to equip them with the Word of God, but because they are illiterate, uh, they're using the audio Bible. So it's, you know, uh, a two-year project. It, they didn't even set out to start it that uh, with uh, with the intent to start it in 2020. It started with the COVID lockdowns, and it's just kind of grown into something that is touching even more people today with the Word of God than they could have even hoped or imagined. Yeah, I'm thinking here of other ministries like Faith Comes by Hearing. I'm thinking of version. It really is extraordinary how technology is providing ways for the Word of God to go forth um, in in communities and across um, cultural expressions where reading is not a, sort of the primary way that people um, attain information. And so um, this is really, really exciting. Again, you guys can find uh, these stories at missionnews.org. Take us um, from Africa to the Middle East. What's going on in Lebanon? Well, you know, as we've been talking about the crisis in Lebanon, uh, we've been talking about uh, the increasing uh, food shortages that are taking place as a result of what's happening in Ukraine and the very unsteady economy. Um, They Mm -hmm. were at a point of near total collapse. Uh, And so they needed to desperately get some funding, foreign funding, in order to avoid that total collapse. So they finally got um, a deal worked out with the, uh, I guess, the lenders. I am not. I don't want to go out and say exactly which one. I think the World Bank was involved, but there are other foreign lenders that are also involved. And in order to get the loan, they, had to re- they were supposed to remove the subsidies on wheat. That creates a whole big problem in, in, in another uh, arena. But uh, they were able to satisfy 
the requirements, got the loan, and then decided immediately to invest that in the entirety of the loan into wheat. Uh, it'll buy about six to nine months worth of wheat, but it'll feed a starving country. And that's one of the biggest issues that they have right now is their people are starving to death because there's there's no food. Um, so, you know, to put it in perspective, Hartford Lebanon is telling us that at a, a standard bakery, um, you'll find 300 to 400 people waiting in line for one bag of bread. Uh, the price of wheat flour has risen over 200 percent since the Ukraine situation began. It's up 330 percent since the economic crisis began in 2019. Uh, the average person, if they still have a job and are still getting wages, cannot afford to buy food to put on the table. And this is a, a country-wide crisis. So you may be asking, well, how are ministries able to respond to that? Um, they are partnered with uh, partners outside of the country, and mm -hmm. they're able to get in funding sometimes getting in goods to be able to service the people that they have created in community and to service the people in the area who come to them with need. And this is kind of opening up another opportunity because people who have always thought they've had it in hand, who have never needed God before, are now finding themselves in desperate need and they're going to the ministries asking for help. They've had to humble themselves to ask for help. And as they watch what the ministry is doing, it leads to other questions uh, that will eventually lead to faith conversations. And this is, it's, I don't want to say it's a formula, but it is human nature. And this mm -hmm. is what we're hearing from all of our partners in Lebanon is people who've never asked for help are now coming to them and asking for help and then noticing that there's a different motivation uh, that that motivates the people that are working as the hands and feet of Christ. And that leads to questions. It leads to opportunities to share about the hope of Christ in a very difficult situation. And people are really searching for hope in a crisis like this. Uh, so you're seeing churches that used to be empty now coming, you know, full to the brim. And you're seeing uh, a, a kind of a reunification among those that call themselves followers of Christ. Um, so it's going outside of the denomination, it's going cross faiths, and it's creating opportunities for people to be united under the banner of Christ and to be serving their country in a time of need. Hmm. They're asking us um, to pray that non-believers would find hope in Christ, the only, you know, the hope that only Christ can offer um, their asking uh, that God would provide, you know, for the resources for them to continue to meet the need um, and uh, for God to lift up, to raise up leaders after his own heart, give them a vision for serving their own communities, um, even when they are themselves in deepest need. So, Father, we come before you with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Lebanon um, and in Uganda and elsewhere around the world and ask that you would pour out abundant resources today, not only for the meeting of human needs, but that people would turn and see you and glorify you. This is the prayer of our hearts today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer in just a moment. We're going to look a little closer to home at what's happening in the island nation of Haiti. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I will trust where you lead. I will trust. When the power goes out where you live because of a storm or um, or for some other cause, how how long do you expect the power to be out? How frustrated do you get? How um, how many calls do you make to the power company, letting them know that you can't blow dry your hair? I want you to imagine for a moment that um, it's been more than a year since the power went out, and so you are um, now past using safe methods of lighting your home, um, heating your home, cooling your home, keeping your food um, safe. And you've turned to things like, well, there's gasoline available, so let's make a little lantern out of that. You can imagine where this story leads, and so we're going to talk about what's going on in Haiti. The report comes from For Haiti with Love. It's posted at Mission News. Dot O-R-G. Um, Ruth, what happens when that candle falls over in the middle of the night? Well, you get a fire. You get lots of burns and very serious burns. Um, this is this is a situation I, I think that you and I have discussed before with Haiti, which actually stems from the gang violence that's racking the, the capital city in Port-au-Prince. Um, the gangs are actually blocking access to uh, the fuel facilities, uh, they have control of the three main oil terminals in the country. And because of the lack of fuel flowing, um, the, uh, the the plants can't function. So electricity is very spotty all over the country. The further away from the capital city you get, the less likely you've had electricity in any time at all. So that's where we land on this story from our partners at For Haiti With Love. In Cap Haitian, it's far to the north, a lot of the big issues that Port-au-Prince is dealing with, they don't actually feel necessarily. So they haven't had um, real big issues with the gang violence and things like that that you've been reading about as Haiti is covered, but Cap Haitians uh, feeling the effect of it because they haven't had electricity. Um, so with people just trying to figure out how they're going to cook their food, you have open flame, you have a uh, rare occasion where gasoline does actually make it out or someone figures finds out that Port-au-Prince has an open fuel uh, area and so everybody goes over there with their gas cans or their milk jug containers or whatever and then they travel all the way back to Cap Haitian with their gas in these unsafe containers and stored in their homes stockpile it because they don't know when the next time is they're going to get it and then you have an open flame and it causes major issues uh, with the fumes you have children who are coming in that are completely burned um, it's just the, the for the the burn clinic that for Haiti with love is uh, part of that that they own, that they run, um, is seeing such an increase in the burn survivors um, that they are running out of supplies to help them. So they're running out of just thinking about how severe these burns are. They need maybe four or five jars of cream for uh, just a burn on one part of a body. And it has to be changed a couple times a day in order to keep that, that uh, healing um, procedure going. And um, that's one person. 
uh, multiply that by the size of the burn and how many people they're seeing. And you can see where For Haiti With Love is starting to struggle a little bit, trying to keep up with meeting the needs that they see happening there. Also, just because they have a burn clinic that is dealing with so much stuff, they knew they needed to have an alternate source of uh, electricity um, or something to power the lights in the clinic so they can see what they're actually doing. Um, and so they decided to go with solar panels. And five years ago, a company that provides solar panels came to Fred Hay with Love and said, we'll give these to you, we'll install them and everything. If we can use your ministry as our show and tell on this is how it works. Um, so God provided for the ministry well in advance of this crisis so that when uh, the, the time of need comes, when it's at its darkest moments, um, a ministry like for Haiti with Love literally is the light in the darkness. So I'm celebrating, um, right? There's a celebration there, and then there's also just these just horrific concern for the people um, of Haiti and, and, and the plight there. Um, you have a couple of stories posted right now um, at Mission News. .org about Ukraine. Um, there's a lead story. If you guys go to the website, Ukraine war has displaced 665,000 students. But if you scroll down a little bit further, there is um, there is an article related to Ukraine asking civilians in the east to evacuate. What's going on there? Well, this is Donetsk. So this is an area that we've already known has been a, a high value target from Russia. Um, and this is unfortunately not something that has settled down at all. Um, and mm -hmm. the uh, Ukrainian president has like, requested the civilians who live in that area just to evacuate. So they provide fewer targets for uh, Russia to destroy, fewer um, uh, reduce the number of civilian casualties because that's been a, a very uh, deadly region. And um, it's it's mostly to try to, you know, like you evacuate uh, ahead of a hurricane. Well, Ukraine knows that Russia is coming back for this region because they really want to possess it. They want to occupy it. They want to own the region in their quest to um, take over Ukraine. Uh, and, I, you know, I know I'm saying something that's super political on this, but that's kind of Russia's actions. ML. That's mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they've been saying yeah. they're doing with the actions that they're they're uh, mm -hmm. they're exhibiting. And um, Donetsk is a high value target. So mm -hmm. um, be praying for the ministries that are there, the churches that are there, um, because of the situation with the earlier war before Russia invaded. Um, ministries like Slava Gospel Association were coming in already and kind of encouraging the church networks that existed and provided them with some of the resources they needed to help those who had survived the earlier attacks. And um, now they're kind of all on the move to try to get out before Russia comes in. And, uh, you know, displacement like that is really unsettling. It's uh, disruptive to ministry. People get separated. Uh, networks get disrupted and, and just really um, disorganized. So be praying that those things can come back together, that people stay in communication. Um, the community that is created through these church networks is a lifeline for the survivors. So be praying for the gospel workers and be praying that um, ultimately – you know, God would put leaders in place who could come up with the solutions that, uh, well, mm -hmm. would you be know, redemptive. Looking, would be redemptive. Looking, yeah, would be redemptive. Yeah. yeah. 
So I um, I love the testimony of uh, of the pastor uh, who is quoted in this piece, Pastor Vladimir. Um, he says, "I used to I used to think about like how to creatively engage people in conversations about Jesus, but that's not a concern anymore." Um, I got so many people coming to church. I'm out every single day sharing the gospel, tending to the needs of people um, at the most basic level um, and handing out New Testaments. So, you know, Ruth, we've been praying for revival. I am um, I am certain that, you know, we were not uh, praying for famine in um, in Lebanon, uh, for fires in Haiti and for war in Ukraine. But God is getting his glory um, and working all things together for good. It is um, painful. Um, it is real. It is raw. And God has Christians on the front lines um, all over the globe um, advancing the gospel. And so thank you so much for bringing us their stories. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's Ruth Kramer. You can find her at Mission Network News and the stories we talked about today, missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, in the midst of all of this, um, are you having a sense that God's calling you to visit Ukraine? Uh, there is one tour company out there that is offering that opportunity. There's an online platform, um, visitukraine.today, that has launched a guided uh, tour of so-called brave cities, um, and people are invited to visit. Set off on a journey to awesome Ukraine right now. And you may say to yourself, that would not be prudent. Um uh, I will say that if God's calling you to do it, if God is calling you to go and bear the light of the gospel um, to people in the most desperate of circumstances, um, you know, there is opportunity. And I think that is uh, pretty extraordinary and a striking reality. Um, it's uh, it's an opportunity to visit with people in um, places highlighting the spirit of defiance. That's the way they're describing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that prudence is a important question. It's not this is not war tourism. Um, this is visiting people in places um, and you know supporting the economy of a place that's been absolutely decimated by war. Um, wow, I mean, obviously the U.S. government and others recommending against this, but it, it's available. I'm just I'm just ever uh, I'm I'm ever curious about all the ways in which um, God advances the gospel and want to be praying for um, those who are. Um, taking care of the people of Ukraine and elsewhere today. Let's be let's be uh, encouraging them. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.